Standby rails 10, 20, 30, and sound. Standing by. Curtain go. Sound 14, go. Have a great show, everybody. Hello and assalamu alaikum. Welcome to another edition of the Story Seeds Podcast. I am your host, Betsy Bird, and you've arrived at the show where imagination rules. On each episode, we match one young creative rock star and their story idea with a real-life author. Then we sit back and listen to the magic that unfolds as they connect and collaborate to grow their story seed into a story. Take your seats, listeners, because today we have a mystery story seed. My name is Sulaf Hatab. I want a story about a young girl who lives in New York City and has some kind of job in the theater district and realizes there is a very dark secret hidden at the show she's working on. Sulaf is 12 years old and loves mystery books. In fact, she's a huge fan of... Agatha Christie, because she's amazing and she writes really good, like colorful, interesting mystery novels. We told Sulaf we would need to get on the tail of an Agatha Christie incarnate to work with her, but that wasn't what she wanted. You see, Sulaf's mom is from Syria and her dad is from Egypt, so she really wanted someone who could write a story that showed an Arab-American girl like her cracking a mystery. We found a match for Sulaf in the Baltimore-based writer Susan Wadi Daraj. Susan is the author of Farah Rocks, a really fun new chapter book series that introduces readers to a spunky fifth-grade Palestinian-American girl named Farah. Turns out, Susan also loves mysteries. When I first heard Sulaf's story seed, I thought that this is exactly the kind of story I want to be working on. I'm a mystery fan, too. I'm a huge Agatha Christie fan, too. That made me very excited to hear her say that. If you don't know her yet, Agatha Christie is a British mystery author. She is actually the best-selling novelist of all time. Agatha started writing detective stories during World War I while she was working at a hospital dispensary, where she learned all about medicine and poison. In fact, one of her most famous detective characters was inspired by the thousands of refugees who moved from Belgium to the English countryside during the First World War. Agatha thought that a refugee who was once a great Belgian policeman could make for an excellent detective. And so, exactly 100 years ago, in the year 1920, 
Hercule Poirot, he with the egg-shaped head and twirly mustache, was born. Our two Agatha Christie fans got together on a cold December morning where Suluf wanted her story to take place. A theater! They met at the Riverside Theater in Harlem, New York City. The small but well-known Riverside Theater is actually located inside Riverside Church, the tallest church in America. It has a really cool bell tower that overlooks the Hudson River. And it's the special place where the South African anti-apartheid freedom fighter, Nelson Mandela, was honored during his first trip to New York after his release from prison. At the time of recording, the Riverside Theater was preparing for its annual performance of the winter holiday classic, The Nutcracker. So, after dropping their belongings off on the theater's red seats, Suloff and Susan climbed the stage and got ready for a private Axis All Areas tour from one of the theater's managers, Alex. Susan brought her notebook and she gave Suloff her phone to take pictures. Hi guys, welcome to the Riverside Theater. Hi. Have you guys Hi. been backstage at a theater before? Once with my school. Once with your school? Okay, yes. so you know which side is stage right, stage left? I forgot. All right, it's always from the point of view of the actor. So stage right is to the right when you're facing the audience. Stage left is to the left. Mm-hmm. All right, let's take a walk backstage. So love take pictures for me. Sure. We need some details. So we have a couple of dressing rooms back here. What's in here? Should we go inside or? Look at the costumes. Oh, they're so <gasps> beautiful. They are beautiful. Look at that. The other side of the stage is the fly rail, and so we actually make it snow during the show by operating one of the pipes. Oh, cool. So if you look carefully in there, you can see all the little snow pieces. So what do you call the mechanisms that lower this up and down? The fly rail. Oh, that's the fly rail. Okay. That's wonderful. Don't you like that the snow could fall like that on the stage, wouldn't it? Oh, it's so cool. Wouldn't it be interesting if somebody triggered that by accident and that could be like a big moment at the end? Because at some point they drop snow onto the stage. That would um, be pretty cool. And then down here we have our scene shop. Oh, wow. So it's not very big, but any basic small things we need to build, we can take care of that in here. So usually in a theater, you would have a much larger scene shop than this. I see. Do you see any hiding spots here that look interesting? If someone was going to hide, where would they hide? Around there, probably. Inside there, but it's locked. Oh, true. What exactly is in here? Is this it's a refrigerator. Oh, it's a refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> it's my lunch. That's what's inside there. <laughs> Vital. Theaters are ideal locations for strange happenings because they're filled with dark spaces and creepy nooks and crannies. Actually, one of the first books set in the theater is The Phantom of the Opera. It's a mystery and a ghost story set in a Paris theater. There was definitely tons to be inspired by at the Riverside Theater. Sometimes when I write, I don't have a story. I actually have a character first, and then I have a story. What are you thinking of right now? Do you have a character in your mind, or do you actually have a story in your mind? Well, kind of both. I think of the main character, I think it would be interesting. If like um, she's just like figuring out her life and what she wants to do with it, I'm just thinking that that might be a, like a good backstory for her. Okay, I think Sorry. I'm still figuring myself out. We all are. <laughs> we all are. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think that will help the readers connect to her more. Yeah. Because everyone kind of goes through that. Mm. Let's back up a little bit. Do you have an image in your head of what she looks like? 
If you close your eyes and you think of her, what comes to your mind? Her mm -hmm. hair, her eyes, is she tall, is she... Curly hair. You... She's tall. She's tall. And her eyes are brown. Brown. Kind of like mine, like hazel and stuff. And um, her hair is really, really dark brown. Kind of, kind of like mine, kinda maybe. Kind of like yours. Kind of. Do you see a lot of girls in books that look like you? Depends. Yeah. I don't. Uh, um, I don't see a lot of Syrian people in books yeah. or Egyptian people. Yeah, yeah. And I never did either yeah. when I was your age. So there's um, a scholar. Her name is um, Dr. Rudine Sims Bishop, and she's a wonderful scholar. And she came up with a metaphor for children's literature, uh -huh. and she said that children's literature, like a children's book, is like a mirror for children. So, for example. If you read a book with an Arab character in it, mm -hmm. that book becomes like a mirror for you because you look at it and you kind of see yourself in the book, right? And how do you think that would make you feel to read a book with an Arab character in it? That would be great. I would feel really good like seeing myself, mm -hmm. you know, and knowing that there are more books out there that are um, representing more uh, different types of people. Right, yeah. right. And you can maybe feel like you recognize some things oh, in the yeah. book and you recognize the, the culture in the book. And oh, if, yeah. the, if the mom in the book is cooking, you feel like, oh, I know what that is. I eat that at home um, or hummus or whatever. Well, so the book is like a mirror for you, right? Yeah. But then guess what? For other kids mm -hmm. who are not Arab, the book is also important because... It's a window? What, it's a window, because they use the book as a window to look at another culture. Well, let's go back to your character. So she has dark brown hair, she has brown eyes or hazel eyes like you. Do you have a name that you like for her? Layla. I love the name Layla. And it's, especially if we're setting this story at night, Layla means night. So that's oh, actually yeah. our perfect deeper meaning. I think naming characters is fun that way because their yes. name takes on more powerful, you know, meaning or it gives you more insight into the story. So let's just imagine a typical day for her. Can we do that for a minute? Maybe it should be in winter. Winter is like my favorite season. I mean, I can't blame you. Christmas. Christmas, oh, yeah. I think Layla should like sledding because if you really know your character, if she's like a person to you, like an actual friend that you know, then you can write her more easily. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So let's try to just play around with who she is and what she does. She's looking for a way to earn some extra pocket money. Um, oh. You know, to, to like find a job to earn some extra pocket money, and that's why she starts working at a theater. What if she got a job working in the scene oh. room? Okay. Making something for the, maybe, she, so she has to make something for the next play. Mm -hmm. So she spends a lot of time in that dark space back there. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> can her dad be Egyptian? Because my dad is Egyptian. And can she speak a little Arabic? Yeah. What words do you hear at home? Sometimes, like, my parents and I will speak in English, and sometimes they speak in Arabic, and sometimes yeah, we do the same. Mixed. One thing that really annoys me, especially, I love movies, and especially in movies, when they're saying Arabic, it's usually, it's like, it's mumble, mumble, yes. and we're like, oh, yeah. yes, that is totally Arabic. Yeah. I mean, the one 
movie I'm actually pretty proud of um, that I saw recently is the uh, first Iron Man movie oh. because every single word of Arabic that is spoken there, it is actually clearly actual Arabic. But the people who speak it, um, unfortunately, they're the bad guys. So there is a double standard there. one of the oldest languages in human civilization. In fact, there are a lot of words in the English language that are Arabic in origin, like algebra, artichoke, candy, coffee, cotton, safari, sofa, and sugar. But now we will move on to the word cliffhanger, a word in the English language that started in the movies in the 1930s. In a cliffhanger, a character is left in a desperate situation, like hanging off a cliff. But but cliffhangers also do something else. They keep you hooked to a story so that you keep watching or reading to find out what happens next. So in a story, when you are leading up, when you're making something suspenseful, one thing that you do is you kind of plant little seeds to build up the suspense, and then you have the big moment, right? Oh, yeah. There should be a couple of times where small things happen or she notices things that are strange, and, and so we start to worry that something is wrong before she actually discovers something that's wrong, yeah. right? Maybe, like, like she hears a, a scream or something coming from somewhere, and, like, she runs to see uh, somewhere that she goes there, and, like, it, it's completely... Uh, and there's nothing. That's always creepy when, like, yeah. you know you've heard something, but then the person who's there is like, no, I didn't hear anything. That's always, like, super oh, creepy. So maybe something is missing. Maybe she put something... Yeah. Maybe she put her lunch in the refrigerator and, and it's, it's missing. Oh, yeah. And she's like, who took my lunch? And nobody... That makes sense. You like that? Yay. Yeah. What does she eat for lunch? What do you think? Mm. What do you eat for lunch every day? What do I eat for? Oh, yeah. it varies. Um, usually, sometimes leftovers. Ooh, Chinese food. Warat Dawali. Syrians call it warat. I love that. Palestinians call it warat Dawali. Stuffed grape leaves. Oh, they're so good. They're so good. So she could have that as a leftover. Yeah. And maybe she could be really upset about her lunch missing because she doesn't have a lot of money. And that's why True. she's working. So True. this was like a treat for her. Yeah. And she's yeah. really looking. So she's really annoyed that somebody has taken her lunch. I was thinking maybe Layla could be working on a big prop that has to be built for this yeah. play. And every day, sometimes when she comes in, one of the little suspense moments that mm-hmm. she experiences is like, the prop, like she maybe sawed something and mm-hmm. and she maybe nailed it together, but the next day it's been separated. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's always this thing that pushes, like in the Agatha Christie books, there's always something that like pushes them broke over the them. Edge. Yeah, that pushed yeah, them over the yeah, edge. Yeah, yeah, dun, dun, And then dun. you're like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, we'll have to decide if the story's gonna go like really dark or if it's gonna be like more. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I guess a Christie can well, be pretty dark. Yeah, sometimes. and then there were none, and then I read The Raven in class. Oh yes, I yeah. love that poem. I know. Well, maybe we can like kind of incorporate that into the story somehow. Maybe the the show that they are doing is like a retelling, an adaptation of um, some of Edgar Allan Poe's stories, like onto the stage. <laughs> maybe we could like kind of incorporate that. We can we do both that. Like him. Okay, so I can't wait to start writing this. Oh, I feel like my my mind is like, you know, like when a pot is boiling with water, like my mind is boiling right now. (laughs) So I have a lot of ideas. Mind you, I'm very excited. Yay! Shukran. Afwan, Habibti. 
After her meeting with Suloff, Susan got on a train to head back home to Baltimore. Once settled in, she left this message for Suloff during one of her writing sessions. Hi, Suloff, it's Susan. So I am sitting in a cafe and writing our story, and I just wanted to say how much I love meeting you. It really means a lot to me to be matched up with an Arab-American girl, to be working on a story like this. I think that gives a lot of meaning to what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to help Arab-American kids feel seen. I'm trying to help other kids who are not Arab understand what our culture is like and our community is like. I love how much we talked about how our hair is similar, and I really think I'm going to make sure that Layla has curly hair like we do, dark curly hair. I also really liked walking through the theater with you because it gave me so many ideas. If you remember the fly rail that the theater manager showed us, you know that long rail at the top of the stage that kind of unravels, it can drop things down on the stage. I feel like I'm going to use that in the story. I'm not really sure yet how, but... um, I feel like it's going to make an appearance in the story. So it was really great meeting you, and I'm going to start writing, and I'm really excited, and I I hope you like it. And get writing she did. And now, my dear listeners, it's showtime. For the first time ever making its debut on Podcasts Everywhere, I am happy to lift the curtain for the story Susan Mwadi Duraj grew from Sulaf's story seed, Mystery at the theater. A Mystery at the Theater by Susan Maadi Duraj and Sulav Hatab. The door to the Catherine Hepburn Theater was locked. Great, muttered Leila pulling her jacket closer around her and fishing her cell phone out of her backpack. She texted Alex, the assistant producer. Door locked? Question mark. As she waited, she warmed her feet by stomping her thick black boots on the pavement. It was a cold, wet day, and she definitely smelled it. Snow. She sniffed the air. Yes, snow had a smell. Leila had always been able to tell when it was on its way. She'd loved it as a kid, sledding on the hills or making a snowman with Baba. Habibti, her father would always say, while throwing giant snowballs that stuck in her dark curly hair, I love you. These memories flew out of her mind as the door to the theater swung open. Tis some late visitor tapping at my chamber door, Alex said, his hazel eyes watery behind his big green glasses. Only this and nothing more. The theater was putting on a show called Poe's Dark Tales, an adaptation of the poetry of Edgar Allan Poe. And Alex was quoting from his favorite poem, The Raven, every chance he got. Sir, truly your forgiveness I implore, Leila quoted back a line of the poem to him. You know school ends a bit later on Fridays. Quoth the raven, nevermore, he answered in a dramatic voice, making her laugh. 
Alex had a weird sense of humor, but he was a good friend of her drama teacher who had helped her get a tech crew internship at the Catherine Hepburn Theater. Most of the time, the cast and crew ignored her unless the floor needed sweeping or they needed an extra hand with building a prop. But she didn't mind. What other 15-year-old had an internship at a major theater in New York City? She wanted to study drama in college, and this would help her applications. She had lots of other activities she was involved in, too, like the literary magazine at school. She and her friends also helped teach English to children who'd been arriving in New York from Syria as refugees the past few years. But more than anything, she loved just being in the theater. When no one was looking, she would stand center stage and face the hundreds of red cushioned seats, imagining herself one day as an actor in a packed house with everyone cheering her on. Layla walked through the dark back hallway leading to the backstage, looking at the actors rehearsing their lines and the stage crew fiddling with props. She exited stage right and headed to the back hallway where she put her dinner in a refrigerator by the dressing rooms. Mama had rolled her favorite wara dowali early that morning, and she'd carefully packed away half a dozen grape leaves to eat during her break. She continued to the scene shop, the room where the stage props were built. It was a small room, and every inch of wall space was filled with shelving to hold tools, wood, nails, Last week, she had helped one of the stage crew members construct the body of the raven. It was three feet tall. Yesterday, she had spent an hour covering the bird with a large square of soft black velvet. Today, her job was to glue the feathers on the raven. She couldn't wait. However, when she got to her workbench, she gasped in surprise. The velvet was gone. The bird's wooden body was bare, and it stared at her with its shiny glass eyes as if it were accusing her of something terrible. In a panic, Leila began searching under the bench, on the shelves, and the cabinets nearby where the hammer, saws, and nails were stored. No sign of the black velvet. Did you remove the black velvet from the raven? She asked the costume designer. No one would do that, replied the designer. She was bent over a sewing machine, stitching a black coat for one of the actors. That's odd, though. A few days ago, I lost the black gloves that go with this jacket. Leila hurried to the stage where Alex was standing by the fly rail, testing the pulley. As he pulled on the rope, a large roll that hung above the stage rose up closer to the rafters. Alex, can't talk now, he replied without looking at her. I need to get this done, okay? This is for the big snowfall release in the final act. She could see that there were white shredded bits of paper stuffed in the large roll. Confused, she returned to the workroom and stared at the raven's wooden skeleton. She took a deep breath and traveled back in her memory, this time calmly. The last time she had touched the velvet cloth, what had she done? Yes, of course. She had draped the cloth around the raven and had nailed it in a few places so that it wouldn't fall off. Her plan today had been to glue it down and then attach the feathers. 
The cloth didn't just go missing. Someone had had to yank it off. Layla stuck her fingernail under the head of a tack on the corner of the raven's tail. Yes, there was a scrap of black velvet stuck there. Her black velvet wasn't lost. It had been ripped from the raven. Baba and Mama always said that if there was a mystery in the air, Layla would be the one to sniff it. But she didn't have the time to solve this mystery now. She had to replace the velvet. Layla quietly left the theater. She hurried to the fabric store on 140th Street and spent 14 of her own dollars on a three-yard stretch of black velvet. She hurried back to the theater, clutching the bag closely. The scent of snow in the air was stronger than ever, and her stomach rumbled with hunger. If she had to redo all her work from yesterday, she may as well eat Mama's delicious wada doali while she worked. But when Layla opened the refrigerator door to get her food, another surprise awaited her. Her dinner bag was gone. Did anyone move my food? She asked the costume people and the stage crew and Alex. But she already knew the answer. Nope, said Alex before calling out. Stage crew, actors, meeting in the sound booth now. She watched as everyone else strolled to the back of the theater. Hungry and annoyed, she walked to stage right and looked out over the auditorium, down into the orchestra pit. There was definitely a mystery here in the Catherine Hepburn Theater. Things had actually been disappearing for a week now that she thought about it. Four days ago, the lead actor's boots had gone missing. A day before that, the lead actress couldn't find her red wool scarf. The costume designer had told her that black gloves were missing. And today it was not just her black velvet fabric, but also her grape leaves that were gone. It couldn't be a coincidence. She had dismissed those incidents earlier, but now? No way. Tomorrow was the first full dress rehearsal. What else could go missing before then? Layla sighed. As she breathed out, a flash of red caught her eye to the side. Someone with long, dark, curly hair like hers rushed across the back of the stage and she heard the thunking of their heavy black boots. Her brain worked the way her hands built a prop. She assembled the pieces together in her mind and she knew exactly what she was seeing. Stop, she shouted. Stop right there, thief. As she ran, Layla almost tripped over a portrait of Poe that was leaning against a beam. Reaching out her hand to steady herself, she accidentally grabbed the fly rail's pulley and yanked down on the cord. Suddenly, she heard a scream. The large roll in the ceiling unraveled, and a massive snowfall cascaded down onto the stage. Layla blinked, peering through the white haze. When the snow had all finally settled, Layla saw only a red scarf on the stage floor, looking like a bloodstain in the white snow that covered it. Also in the snow, there was a trail of footsteps leading to stage right toward her scene shop. Layla took a deep breath and followed.
Your call has been forwarded to an automatic voice message system. Sulaf, I finished the story. I created the mystery that we talked about. But I did something for you, Sulaf. I left it up to you to finish it. The story ends on a cliffhanger. So I want you to get creative and I want you to write the ending of this story. Hi, Susan, it's me. I just want to say thank you so much for working on Story Seeds with me. It's really awesome and kind of unbelievable that an accomplished author like yourself took time out of her um, days and months and weeks to work on this with me. So just thank you, thank you so much for this whole incredible, insane journey. It was really cool to read um, a story based on my Story Seed. I really like the protagonist, Leila. She is really interesting and unique because there aren't enough Syrian people in books. And I also really like how you showed us like little tidbits about her life. It was just interesting to see um, who this character was before all these crazy things started happening to her. And it was really um, interesting to see her relationship with her parents and as how to continue it um well i think that one thing that could be interesting to add in is like a kind of meta chase where like she's chasing someone maybe the culprit i don't know but she also feels like someone's chasing her and i just want to say again as a way of kind of signing off Thank you so much for working with me. You did a wonderful job. Goodbye. Now this is where you come in, dear listener. What happens next? Who could have possibly dropped that scarf? Are they trying to sabotage the play? Are they hiding in the theater? Why do they have the same kind of curly hair as Layla? Hmm? Will Layla figure out who done it? Susan has an idea for who it is, but you'll have to wait to find out in next week's bonus interview. In the meantime, can you guess? Don't forget to check out our Imagination Lab mini-magazines. Inside, you'll get tips and ideas for how to continue the stories you hear on the show. There's a zine for each episode, and they're filled with writing prompts, cool articles, and hands-on projects. So visit the Imagination Lab section at www.storyseedspodcast.com and download your activity zines for free. Before you close out of your favorite podcast listening app, we'd be really grateful if you could leave us a review. It really helps other kids and families find our show. Stand by curtain, house lights, and theme song. Story Seeds is a literary safari production. Thank you to Riverside Theater for its support of this episode of the Story Seeds podcast. This episode was produced by Sandhya Nankani, Anjali Sakrani, and Kayla Fedison. Scoring, mixing, and sound design is by Anya Jeshik and Matt Boynton of Ultraviolet Audio. Our theme music is composed and performed by Andrew Van Weingarten. Field audio was recorded by James Boo. And I am your host, Betsy Bird. Until we meet again, keep growing that imagination. Curtain and house lights, go. Theme song, go. On Story Seeds You're in control of your destiny Adventures you design Where your dreams can grow
story seems